Welcome back into the MLS Bench Podcast. I am Joey, and with me today are Andres and Matt for another week of MLS action. And as we touched on last week, this week was going to be one uh, that we weren't going to forget anytime soon, and it gave us results that we're going to be talking about for a while into the future. And honestly, I don't think there's a better place to start than the Friday matchups, which saw you know MLS's best rivalry, let's just be frank, and a matchup between the top two teams in the West that have set themselves apart this year. And we'll start with the earlier matchup on that Friday night, which was LAFC traveling to Austin, traveling to Q2, to take on an Austin FC team that, you know, we, as much as we had kind of solidified our opinions about them as a playoff team as the season has gone on, we've been a little unsure that maybe they have what it takes at the very top level. And they put on a performance on Friday night that I think sends shockwaves throughout the league, winning 4-1 uh, against an LAFC side that's been struggling recently. Andres, I'll start with you. How's it going? And I think if you're looking at this from an Austin FC standpoint, there's basically not a negative takeaway you could have. Yeah, what's up, guys? I'm doing doing well, doing well. Excited to talk to MLS another week. And I think you're, yeah, you're absolutely right. This is um, for the Austin skeptics, count me amongst them uh, throughout the season. This is a lights out performance. There is really nothing to to complain about. They played really well uh, in the first half. Defensively, they were up for it. You could see that with, with the way that they went about the game, with the challenges they were putting in. They were compact. Um, they get the beautiful goal from Fagundes to... to Open the scoring, um, and then they, you know, even the goals from Rudy, you, it was just kind of scrappy, uh, working hard, uh, outworking LAFC really throughout the throughout the game. And you know, from the, the the worry we've had with Austin is defensively, and yeah, they gave up some chances once the game was four nothing, but the game was four nothing at that point, um, and LAFC really not a great performance at all. Um, so. Bravo, really well done by Austin. Um, the place looks great. The atmosphere looked awesome. Um, that's two wins now against LAFC, one away and one at home. So really nothing else to, to say other than, than really, really well done. And um, this bodes well for them going into the playoffs where we were having doubts. I think you have to think about them slightly different at this point. I, I, you're your point is really well taken. This is an awesome team that did a lot of really, really good stuff here. There is still always, you know, a question of on the day, can their defense fall apart? Sure. But this team has been so consistent. And I think the biggest part of what they did correctly in this game against LAFC is they absolutely hassled their midfield ridiculously high. Like, uh, the... Jose Sufentes has been one of the best performers, a, a very, very quiet, like one of the best players this season. And he was anonymous because every time that he would get on the ball, every time that Kelvin Costa would get on the ball, every time that Latif Blessing would get on the ball, they had either Pereira or Ring on their back. And it just that press or that pressure 
just did not allow for this LAFC team, which we know is so, so good at creating really, really beautiful flowing soccer. They just could not do that. And we saw that in Bale and Vela being incredibly limited in what they were able to do. I think Vela was often having to drop back to about midfield in order to just pick up the ball. The their Austin's ability to go ahead and choke this game was incredible. Really, really well done. Really well done from Austin. And and I think uh I think Jared pointed out pointed out in our uh, Discord that you know, when you throw like these added pieces in the attack and I think uh what what did they start? They started um Arango, Vela and Bale if I'm not incorrect. I think it's a good uh starting front three, but you know, you don't know how Bale's going to slot in what was his first MLS start. And like you said, Matt, very limited. I think it was something like 30 touches, um, nothing really to make of it. Uh, got subbed off relatively early in the first half. Uh, Vela didn't produce much. Arango got the goal, but that was basically already garbage time. Um, you know, we're looking at a team that they had a decent amount of possession. That wasn't horrific. They weren't always able to build up, and when they got to their attacking third, nothing really came of it. And we're looking at a team in LAFC that's been one of the most lethal attacking teams, you know, just not in, not just this year, but also in previous years with players like Vela. They could not produce anything for the first hour of this game, and you juxtapose that with Austin, who whenever they got in and around the, ta- the attacking third, was flooding numbers in the box, was getting high-quality looks, and you know, produce four goals that honestly, I think are semi-repeatable, and that's that. That speaks volumes about this team. Matt, do you have more on this? Yeah, I just I wanted to kind of uh, give a shout out on MLSsoccer.com. There is um, in the stats portion of every game. There's a really nice little uh, map of the passing network for both teams, and based on those maps, you can really kind of see where the approximate average position of each player is. Boston is spread out really, really nicely. They very much have a matrix that they want to stay in. Um, and it's it's that really, really solid 4 4 2 4 2 3 one back and forth. If you look at LAFCs, it is so condensed in the midfield. And they just did not have any width. And it, it for a team that we know is this good is... Just, again, I, I cannot say how good of a performance this was from Austin. And uh, like Andres said, Popping atmosphere that that looked like the most fun place to be on a Friday night. It has to be said. I think LAFC also was probably missing Ilié, um, and there, and I think working these new guys into the into the lineup is going to take a little bit of adjustment. And for a team that was flying along, and I think what a week and a half, two weeks ago, we were talking about eighty points. Um, this is this is just a wake up call. It's now three games in a row where you could say they haven't played particularly well. Uh, DC United winning one nothing at home two days after a, a weekend game. You know, you would have expected a, a blowout in that one. Uh, losing to San Jose and now Austin. So LAFC maybe needs to do a little bit of soul searching, which is not something I think we were thinking they were going to have to be doing even, even as short as a week and a half ago. So it, it also... This is not to take anything away from Austin because, once again, they played lights out. But LAFC didn't play well and haven't played well now three games in a row. 
uh, need to start looking at, at how they're going to turn the corner going into the playoffs. I still think they're supporter shield favorites, uh, but they're they're not the juggernaut they were a couple weeks ago. It, Andres, can I ask? Uh, do you think that this will give other teams somewhat of a blueprint of deny the the passing through the midfield? Do you think that that gives other teams enough to work on to go against this LAFC's time team, or is it if you drop Ilya in there, is his calmness on the ball enough that they are still far and away favorites? I think that I think the template could work. Um, I still think if they're pressing you and if they're not sloppy, uh, they probably have enough talent to overcome that. But I think we saw a little bit of that sort of crack in the in the midfield, um, where if you can get enough pressure in the middle um, to cause some turnovers, then then they're more vulnerable. Um, and in this particular game, not only were they vulnerable in the midfield, but then Murillo and Segura had an absolute shocker. Uh, usually they're pretty good, but this was not a good performance from, from either of the center mids and not particularly good from the outside backs. So if you can turn them over and those guys aren't having good games, uh, I think that's where they're vulnerable. Yeah, I think, I mean, and when you have a 4-1 performance against a team with the talent like LAFC, you know that something's gone wrong. They've had an off day, something like that. Um, but... Austin did go toe-to-toe with them, and Elie was really the only player that this team was missing because they, uh, Chiellini's still um, coming back from what that you know mysterious knock, whatever happened to him, but he got, he, he got himself subbed in at 60th minute mark, so he played half an hour in this game. Um, I think just more largely, the issue is that they just seem less connected. It seems less free-flowing. It's just not happening as well as it did three weeks ago. And it's okay because LAFC has built themselves a cushion, um, both with the actual talent on their team and with their position in the standings, to withhold a, a bad stretch that can last three, four games. But as we head into the playoffs, it does ask questions about this team how will they be able to hold up when they're put under real pressure on a consistent basis in the game? How are they able to hold up when somebody actually try and presses them in the midfield and doesn't let them walk into their attacking third? That's th- Those are questions that still need to be answered. And I don't know. I don't think that this uh, game did a lot of answering. Now, if they had beaten uh, this Austin team, then hey, a completely different story. But they didn't. And I think these questions are going to rightfully be asked. Andres, I know you mentioned that when you try and, you know, incorporate new players, it's not going to be the quickest process. I, I am interested to see, you know, what you think of Bale specifically, because we've kind of talked about his impact, but more in the, you know, potential, because we haven't really seen him play any, you know, legitimate minutes with this team. Um, and certainly, like you said, first MLS start, played 60 minutes and got subbed out. What did you think of his performance? Did you think that, I mean, obviously there's stuff to work on, but do you think that it was anywhere good enough for this team as we move into the playoffs? No, it was clearly not good enough. And I think Chirondolo would say the same thing. Um, how many times did you hear their name throughout the broadcast? I mean, they were not just Bale, but also Vela, um, almost entirely um, absent in, in the buildup. This team needs to be turning teams over, going uh, vertical, uh, playing playing with those guys, putting pressure on, on back fours. And, you know, if you're sloppy with the ball and if you keep turning turning the ball over in the midfield, then 
they they don't really do that. That's not that's not what Bale and, and Vela want to be doing is tracking back in the midfield and winning the ball. So this was not great. Um, I questioned last month or excuse me last week why Bale hadn't started um, a game in 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 a month. This is the first one and it wasn't good. Uh, yeah, definitely a lot to work on. Clearly, Opoku is in better form. Um, maybe you keep running Opoku out there and bringing Ve- uh, Bella, Bella Bale, Bale on in the last in the last thirty uh, when to run at tired defenses for a little while longer while you kind of get this mojo back. Um, but this clearly wasn't wasn't good enough from from either one of them, um, and really from the whole team. I can't. I can't think of a single player on LAFC that you'd say had a particularly good game. Yeah, and hey, they have to start to regain their form pretty quickly because if you continue to slip, I don't think that we're at that point yet, but because we're going to talk about the Union a bit because they won. Obviously, Austin is your direct opponent in this game. One, that's a six-point swing. It's a little tighter now. Um, LAFC leading Austin by uh, six points on equal number of games played in the West. Philadelphia, um, uh, only three points behind uh, LAFC with one more game played. Uh, So, you know, Supporter Shield, it's tight. The West could potentially be tight. This LAFC team needs to be able to find their form very quickly, and they're going to play tomorrow at Houston, probably a good spot if you want to regain that form, do it on the road and all, and then before you come back home to RSL on the weekend. Matt, I'll give you uh, give you the final word, word on this game. Um, LAFC, Austin, what you got? I think this is... Obviously, going to LAFC and winning was a massive result for Austin. This is the result that makes me think, oh, this is an MLS Cup-worthy team. I, I, I'll be frank, I think that we saw a preview of the um, Western Conference Final on on Friday. Uh, The only team, in my opinion, that could really throw a wrench into that is Minnesota. Um, But I I knew that Austin was good, and obviously having the MVP on your team, presumptive MVP that is, uh, is a big part of it. This is now much, much closer than I thought before. Yeah, I think that's the uh, that's the massive takeaway from this game. You know, you can talk about all the little stuff, uh, you know, tactics and all that good stuff with Bale and all those players coming in. But on a bigger picture, this is that's what it is. It's a little tighter in the West than we all thought, and it'll be really inter- interesting to see how uh, this race develops as we head into the home stretch. I want to now transition to the other Friday game the one with potentially even greater playoff implications than the one we just talked about, that one being uh, the Cascadia Derby. There's no real good name for it, but in its simplicity, I think, is kind of uh, the the beauty in it. Uh, it's Portland taking on Seattle in Providence Park. Uh, a, a string of away team wins in this series, as was mentioned quite a few times on the broadcast, but that didn't stop Portland. They get the 2-1 win over Seattle. The first goal coming via questionable penalty. The second goal coming uh, via set piece. Seattle continues to slide. Their recent form not good at all. Haven't won in the last four. Meanwhile, Portland, you know, helps their playoff hopes just a little bit, getting their first win in over a month. 
Matt, I'll start with you on this game. Uh, Portland did just enough in this one, but I almost want to start with Seattle because I really don't know what's going on to the CCL champions. Why have they just failed to pick up points when they really, really needed it at this point? The the easy answer is injuries. Um, it's it's it bordering on impossible to lose somebody who is so central to your team as as Joao Paulo, and then to lose his backup, and then to lose Christian Roldan, who is the backup to the backup in moving out of position. Um, it's it's really unfortunate that all this has gone on for Seattle. That gives kind of the the broader scope for their season. The scope for this game is that. GS Havarese really kind of got one on Brian Schmetzer and it came with a, a tactical or a, a formation change to go to more of a three at the back using Bravo and Moreno uh, as the, um, as the wingbacks, which I was a little bit concerned about when I first saw some of the lineups, because I always, I, I love Moreno going forward, but defensively I was questioning the work that he would do. He was wonderful this match. Um, and then it, this was kind of the trend that we saw the away teams midfield just was not able to contain and control the ball. And we see that the first half is so heavily weighted in possession for Portland. And then they go up. They don't necessarily need to have all of that possession, which they gave up in the second half. But then you go to that incredible Portland that, is just so deadly on the counter. This was a really, really good match, particularly for Gio Savarese. A good match, I think, all around for Portland because these games are never pretty. Like the the last time we had a really like pretty back to forth, like back and forth um Seattle Portland game. I don't know. There's a couple bangers in recent years, but those have been mainly one sided. And for this one to be close and for this Portland team, which hasn't experienced, I don't know, a ton of success recently. They've been on the outs. They've right now they're sitting outside the playoff, um, the playoff places, uh, in eighth, but they really haven't seen the upper side of that line all year. And for them to find the resolve in this one easier when it's at home for sure. But all the credit to them, I think. And all those three Cascadia teams sitting eighth, ninth, 10th, but it looks like Seattle's the one that's on the outs right now. Andres, what do you make of Seattle? And as you know, you, we can kind of transition into praising Portland. What do you think went right in this game that they can take to future games? Because they only have six left, and they still need to make up points if they want to see themselves in the dance. I want <clears throat> I want to hit Seattle first here, um, because I think we've all, and I deservedly so, have given them quite a leash in terms of they'll get it together and they'll they'll start putting results in um we've we've mentioned their injuries and i want to say first off they got hosed against the galaxy a couple week uh two weekends ago on that 3-3 where i think the handball was super harsh they got hosed again this week uh on that penalty which was for me definitely not a penalty there's not even contact there. So I want to give them that benefit first. But that said, I'm going to give you a list of names. Raul Ruiz Diaz, Nico Lodero, Corey Morris, Albert Rusnak, Amar Gomez, 
Andrade, Javier Arriaga, Alex Roldan. These are all names of players that are on the field, regardless of the injuries that they've had. You can look at pretty much anybody above the line, with the exception of maybe LAFC, and all seven of those guys would be starters on every other team above them. Those guys are just not playing well. And you can talk about the system where they've shift, shifted into a three, three at the back. Um, maybe that gives them a little bit more balance with, with the injuries that they've had. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, Ladero and Rui Diaz and Morris, they're either not creating enough chances or they're not taking the ones that they are creating. And these are primetime players that are just not playing that well. And it's been now for a couple months. So unfortunately for Seattle, you saw it against Real Salt Lake. They couldn't get the goal to, to get them even. You saw it against Atlanta. They couldn't put them away in Gutman scores. Um, it's happened over and over again, and now they're in a precarious position. Um, and I don't think you can just blame injuries or, or formation or tactics. Sometimes it just comes down to execution, and they're not really doing it right now. So that's kind of where I'm at with Seattle. I think it's the most down I've been on them in, in a long time. Um, and I think it's unfortunate because that they've put together a really good roster that's just not performing. Uh, with Portland, really oh sorry, yeah, go, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. We 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 can leave it there. You guys can talk Portland after. You I know, Seattle right now. Yeah, no, I, I think your point about Seattle is well taken. I just wanted to throw in there that like it's a great point. They led in this game. They led against the Galaxy extremely late. They led in. Uh, did they lead in that Atlanta United game? No, but uh, no, but they. They let up a very, very late goal. Like, eventually, those are points that come up to you that come back and get you. Like, that's three points that turned into one at the Galaxy, albeit terrible penalty, but that's three points that turned to one. It's one point that turned to zero at Atlanta a couple weeks ago. You continue to string these back to back to back, and had they gotten those points, they might be sitting in the playoffs right now, but they're not, and they let themselves up not a mountain to climb, but in a position that they really haven't been in in a very long time, sitting on the outside looking in, heading into the, the last you know seven games. And if you go further back, they had the 4-3 loss to San Jose, um, where it was kind of a couple howlers and just a kind of crazy game where they gave up the lead there. Uh, they were up one nothing to Montreal at home, um, and Montreal scored twice on them to beat them. So it's happened quite a few times this season they could easily be you know eight to ten points better uh, just haven't come through so that's that's kind of where i'm at with seattle um now it's almost or before we were giving them the benefit of the doubt now i'm looking for them to prove it a little bit more yeah and you said you wanted to transition to portland i think you know it's a good it's a good spot to do it sure so i think portland if they had lost this game uh, with a game in, you know, they're, they're a game worse off than the teams around them. And if they lose, they'd be four behind the Galaxy. Um, I think they'd struggle. So this was absolutely uh, almost must-win territory for them. But it's for me, it's still a team that has a ton of talent. Uh, when Williamson and Blanco are healthy and playing, uh, this team's as dangerous as anybody else out there. And they've always been good with the counterattacks. Uh, Nizgoda is pretty good at finishing, doesn't create a whole bunch himself. Uh, again, their worry is with the defense. And here you saw that they changed systems um, and played with Zach McGraw at the back, who I think has been a revelation for them. 
So I still think this is one of the more dangerous teams uh, in the West. And it wouldn't super surprise me if they came in as a lower seed and kind of shocked a couple of teams counterattacking them in the playoffs. Which is admittedly also what they kind of did last season. And it took them to MLS Cup. Like they were coming in at the sixth or seventh seed and made a great, great run. Um, the only thing that I'll kind of add as a stipulation for Portland, because I think you're right, this this was a must win because this was, other than Atlanta, the weakest opponent that they have remaining, in my opinion. Uh, they are going to have to go to Austin, and then they'll have both Minnesota and LA visiting. And I... That's a buzzsaw. Like, truly, the, the thing that they're going to have to fight now is that they're going to have to beat the teams that are above them. But it's all of those teams are also trying to get hot. And that's that's my concern. I I still question if this team can get in. I, I get that. I mean, you, you didn't even mention the crew in RSL. Like, those two alone are playoff teams and teams that, you know even the best would probably struggle with. So I completely get that point. I'm not penciling them in. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm not even penciling them in. Forget pen. Um, I think the the one thing I would like to touch on, and you mentioned earlier, Matt, is uh, with Santi Moreno coming in and Andres kind of touching on what you said as well about this counterattacking method, you know, this, this way of playing, even without Sebastian Blanco, who adds another dimension to this team, got them to MLS Cup last year as a fourth seed playing the number one seed, playing all these teams. With Santi Moreno in there, I think if they played this specific style, he unlocks so much because his speed and his just... It, he's just a spark plug in there. I love watching him play. And when you give him the space to operate, and like we said, then you you know add in Blanco and those other guys, Dyron as well, you have a really solid way of playing that can withstand a whole lot of things. Whereas Seattle, like even though they have better players, at least names on the field, I can't really find a distinct identity right now. Andres, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I don't really see a whole bunch of repeatable patterns in the way that Seattle plays. It's a lot of crosses, but those crosses aren't generally targeted. Their runs are kind of vague. Meanwhile, you have Portland, you know, still outside the playoff line, but I think showing a better, showing me more in terms of how they want to play, should they get in and should they want to make a run? Do you see kind of what I'm seeing as well? Yeah, Seattle's trying to work in this, this three at the back five, two with Jordan Morris as a, as a second forward. And I think ultimately that's, that's probably their best way going forward, considering uh, the injuries that they've had uh, and who they have available to them. Uh, but it's not quite clicking just yet. And it's why I think we've seen them struggle to create a bunch of chances, uh, even even against that, you know, Real Salt Lake at home, uh, where they where they get even Salt Lake kind of comes back and gets the second goal on them. They had about 30 minutes down a goal at home to, to try to get back and just kind of don't have enough ideas going forward right now. So that might be a little bit of that system change. Uh, going on where they're they're struggling to adapt to that, but but I think you're right. They're not really having an identity of how they want to go forward and attack, um, and hopefully they can figure it out in in the next two to three weeks. 
and have a good run in. Uh, but right now it's it's kind of a struggle. And that's strange to say with a team, again, that has those guys, Rui Diaz, Morris, and, and Lodeiro up front, that they're struggling to find chances and, and clear-cut chances is, is a surprise. It's interesting. You know, uh, when I think about what what kind of goals Seattle particularly likes to score, you're, you're 100% right. They are really, really dangerous on set pieces because... Uh, Yamar, Ariaga, all these guys, are, and Rui Diaz, despite you know not being near the size of the other two, is so dangerous in the air. Um, they're great on that. And uh, Alex Rodon's has great service. Rusnak generally has great service. There's a lot to like there. They like that ball into Morris when they're sitting back in their own half. Uh, but that generally just does not seem to be working the same as it is used to. I think that teams have started to understand that if you can, again, deny service, uh, particularly to Ladero, who's been a kind of on track for his assist numbers, but I really, I don't think that I've seen the chance creation that we've seen in other matter uh, in other seasons. And I think that you're starting to kind of see that in their expected goals uh, in, over the last about 10 weeks where they're getting to maybe one and a half every game. Uh, and there's not really that that next switch. Yeah, agreed. Uh, I hate to be the guy, but we, this is a podcast, and knowing how po- knowing how uh, podcasts are and what people like to hear, I'll start with you, Andres. Do Seattle make the playoffs? Yes. Do Portland That's, make the playoffs? That, Seattle making the playoffs is 13 years of conditioning that I yeah. struggle to <laughs> to struggle off. So I'm gonna say yes. Uh, Portland. Let me see. Who who would I have to drop out? Uh, <laughs> no. I mean, if if you have Seattle in, it's the Galaxy and then RSL that would have to fall out, and that's that's where I'm like, I I just don't see other teams falling off enough. So I'm with you. I I agree. That's those are the two that I'm looking at. I think. Seattle in over the Galaxy, and the one I'm struggling is, are RSL going to fall down enough to let Portland in? Um, I'm looking at their schedules. RSL has Minnesota and LAFC, but then they get DC United. Last two games are the Galaxy in Portland. It might come down to decision day. RSL-Portland might be for that last spot. How's that? Imagine... uh... Who could have thought a galaxy a galaxy match coming down to decision day to determine whether they make the playoffs or not? Um, uh, but Matt, I have to swing it to you. Portland, Seattle, do they make the playoffs? No, for both. I Same. I just I'm a little bit concerned about both these teams in a key couple of areas, um, and then. I think that Ricky Puj is kind of a transformational uh, signing for the Galaxy. So I'm I'm really a little bit high on the Galaxy at the moment. Uh, I we'll see their match this week is going or this uh, midweek is going to be a pretty big uh, telltale sign. We'll see. I I say no to both. I say no to both. Um, primarily because of the Galaxy. Which are you know the closest team to any of uh, those Cascadia teams? I don't think Vancouver is much of a shot. 
Um, Portland sitting on 28 games, 36 points. Galaxy on 26 games, 37 points, and with a significantly easier schedule, in my opinion. So I see them having Portland's number in terms of the race there. And then Seattle, are they're a game more played than the Galaxy and four points back. Like, if the Galaxy win that game in hand, we're talking about a six-point gap. I'm not sure Seattle has shown me anything that they can make up a six-point gap against a team, at least in my opinion, that's played equally as well as, you know, the Galaxy have um, with Seattle all season. So until until I see something different from Seattle or something different from the Galaxy that would be significantly worse, I'm just going to go ahead and say, we, you know, everyone holds serve, and it's RSL and the Galaxy that stay stay in, and Portland and Seattle drop out of the playoffs for the first time in forever. Here, Andres, anything more? Yeah, looking at the Galaxy schedule, I mean, they do have a bunch of gettable games, right? So they, they've got Sporting coming, although Sporting's playing much better lately. Um, Vancouver, uh, who's struggling right now. San Jose, who's struggling right now. Colorado, who's struggling. Um, their decision day game is Houston. Although we've seen that play out uh, in the past uh, against the Galaxy, but they do have five games, five of the of the eight remaining against teams struggling, and Toronto tomorrow, who's out of the playoffs but playing pretty pretty decent. So uh, you might be right. Uh, I I think they went to three five two this week for the first time. They they have Casares in now, uh, should help them defensively. Uh, it could be the Galaxy. There's just there's there's a lot of history about the Galaxy folding over the last couple of weeks and Seattle surging over the last couple of weeks that I, I find it hard to, to look past, but could be that this is the year where it plays out differently. I am with you, Andres. It'll be hard to believe it till I see it. Like until the final whistle on decision day, it'll be hard to believe that the Gal- that or sorry, that the Sounders or the Timbers for that matter wouldn't be in the playoffs. Those two teams, I think it's seven straight years that one of them's represented the Western Conference and MLS Cup. That would be crazy to see. But that's basically all we have on the Friday night games. Two absolute bangers with massive implications. And, you know, come decision day, we'll probably be thinking about these games come the playoffs, especially that Austin LAFC matchup. We could be thinking about that come conference final time. So I think we can move on to the other major derby of the weekend, the Hell is Real derby, uh, the Ohio derby. It was Columbus traveling to Cincinnati. Uh, to take on a, a, an SEC team that I think is interesting right now, sitting just outside the playoffs. Columbus, on the other hand, was sitting just inside the playoffs. And a good game, solid all around, a 2-2 draw that saw, you know, some contention. Yeah, I think it was uh, Caleb Porter after the game, uh, criticizing his own fans, Cucho Hernandez, catching and chugging a beer that was thrown at him. You had all kinds of, you know, the makings of a rivalry, but... At the end of the day, it's Columbus that stay in the playoffs at this point, and it's FCC that stay outside. So, Andres, thoughts on this game, a game that, like we said, could have potential implications come you know, October, November. Yeah, and, and here, it, it, just to get it, get it over with, the question that comes at the end of this, I think both teams are likely to make this, the playoffs. Um, Columbus have been high on now for a few weeks even though they didn't really play very well in this game. I think Cincinnati played pretty well. They should have probably put this one away a couple of minutes uh, remaining in the game. They could have easily been uh, 3-1 and, you know, the offside 
call, I think, has been highly, highly debated. Um, it seems like he was probably off, although uh, just barely. Uh, so I think Cincinnati's shown a couple times that they can beat good teams, and they've got a bunch of not good teams left on their schedule. So for, for me, this was one of the more entertaining games, kind of back and forth. Again, like I mentioned with Q2, TQL looked great. The atmosphere looked awesome. Uh, this league has just grown so much in the last couple of years. It's incredible to watch. Uh, in the end, Cincinnati gave up the late goal um, to, to get the draw. And I think they're for sure, rightly so, frustrated and disappointed. Uh, but I think the performance shows that this is a team that, that still has uh, potential to, to kick on from here and, and, and probably make the playoffs. Yeah, I, I just want to kind of, I think if we're talking about which team is happier at the end of the day on this one, I think it has to be Columbus because number one, you do get that goal that I'm, I'm with Andres, I think is offside. Um, and I think Cincinnati's really, really hurting over that mischance by uh, Vasquez. I, if you put that away, this game, I think does not end 2-2. I think that we're closer to like a three nil. That was a pretty massive chance that just did not go the right way. Um, The, I I wanted to just kind of make a couple of notes on a couple of players for Cincinnati. Uh, Miazga has been a really, really good signing. Uh, If, if, if he's on max Tam, that's ridiculously good. He has bolstered their attack in set piece situations. And then they have really, started to solidify that back line, started to solidify that defense. This is a game that you don't have uh, Naboto. Uh, so it adds a signi- or a, another layer of what can this team be if they make the playoffs. And again, I'm also with you 100%, Andres. Both these teams for me are in. Um, uh, and last note I'll have on, on this match uh, for now is uh, if you're a fan throwing stuff at players or coaches or onto the field or any of that stop your that's trash. Don't do it. That's lame as hell. hundred percent, a hundred, a hundred percent. And we've seen that cause injuries in the past too. Please. Yeah. You know, drink your beers. Don't throw them. Um, I, I do want to mention like, I think FCC have the makings of a team that could make the playoffs. I'm still really high on Columbus, and I like what they've been showing. The Cucho zellerian thing, I know we've said it time and time and time again, but it's a dynamite combination, man. Like, And, and Cucho has shown that he's a legit player. He didn't score in this game, uh, assisted um, that, that goal to Etienne. And, and for what you guys were saying with the offsides, I, uh, there, there's been some contention around the, um, the account that like posts like, the angles and stuff and like tries to calculate the exact distance it seemed like that account was like two inches offside so you know like i'm all like i'm always okay with give the benefit of the doubt to the attacker the the initial angle did look extremely bad though not as bad i think as um some fans had initially thought not as bad as, as since he had initially thought but yeah not not the um not the way that if that breaks differently for Cincy, then we're talking about a completely different thing. But I, I think you make a good point, Matt, in that if Cincy took their chances in this game, particularly that Vasquez chance, yeah, it could just be a different situation altogether. But at the end of the day, 
This finishes 2-2, and I'm excited for both these teams' chances heading into the playoffs because, like you said, Andres, Cincinnati, against teams that are lower than them in the standings this year, have done very well, and they have a Charlotte, they have San Jose, they have DCU, they have the fire upcoming. If they're able to win those four games, I think that you could put them in the playoffs right now because if you add, what, you know, 12 points to this team, I think it'll be tough for a lot of those bottom teams in the East playoff race to maintain, you know, and keep pace with that FCC team, even though FCC sit at eighth right now. Andres, more in this game? Yeah, first of all, shout out to Lucho Acosta um, finding that through ball to Vasquez for the first goal. Absolutely beautiful. He's been playing yeah. really, really well. Um, we keep mentioning the Vasquez chance, but also the the Don Baji, Sergio Santos uh, breakaway that, that doesn't end up in the goal, you know, 87 minutes in, uh, would have put it at 3-1 uh, since he sh- really should have won that game um, for multiple reasons. Uh, and and the reason I think they probably get into the playoffs, they need to jump one of Miami or Columbus. Um, I think Miami's got some some tough games coming and they've got a midweek game before decision day is going to be tough for them. So uh, I think Cincinnati probably has a pretty good shot to get in here. Uh, and they've just, you know, they've had some results go against them. Uh, recently, this one in particular, but we've seen what they did with Philadelphia. We've seen them play well against New York. Uh, they can play good teams and they can beat up on bad teams. So I know Cincy fans disappointed with this week, but overall, uh, first of all, with what you've done so far, light night and day from the last three years, and I think it has a happy ending for them in terms of making playoffs. So not all despair, uh, Cincinnati. And for what it's worth, if they make the playoffs, and like we we said, I, I think at least that they will, it will be deserved because from basically the word go, they've been a consistent team, you know, pretty sure in themselves and the way they want to play. But, you know, Brenner having a good year this year. This has been a big year for him. Lucho Acosta is extremely underrated, but like he... If Driussi wasn't as good as he was, we could be th- talking like Lucho Acosta in that MVP discussion. Vasquez, same kind of thing, scoring all kinds of goals. So, you know, this is a team that will very much deserve to be in the playoffs if they make it in. And even though, like you said, unfortunate way uh, to not get all three in this game, uh, a team that has a strong supporters base, that was evident, and a team that, you know, is is confident in themselves and should be given what they've done so far this season. They will be deserving uh, playoff contenders. Uh, Matt, uh, last word on this game, and we can move on. I just want to note that this Columbus team, like you guys were saying, are so dangerous specifically because of how good their spine is. Uh, that all the way through Room, Mensa, and Nagby into Zellaran Cucho. We have seen so many teams that if they can have good goalkeeping in the postseason, if they can score goals in bundles, and if it can just have somebody who can shovel that ball through. And, you know, there's there's obviously debate around uh, Nagby's progressive passing, stuff like that. But in this league, he is good at what he does. And so if you can build on that spine. Everything else around them can still get better. Kevin Lino is going to start flying in my opinion, because he's just really good. This is a dangerous team for the postseason. Yeah, I think for sure. And 
You know, like we, we've talked about it for uh, over a month now, but Kucho just adds a different dimension to that team. Uh, goal scoring at the likes that they haven't seen in years. Put him behind one of the league's best creators. Absolute speedsters on the wings. You got a good team there. And I, I think Columbus, because they're going to be in a lower position, they're gonna, probably going to be sixth, maybe w- entering the playoffs. Could make some noise given how they perform, you know, maybe on the road in that first weekend. I think they could, you know, stage an upset. So that's all uh, we got for FCC Columbus 2 2, the final. Columbus uh, sitting seventh in the East, 36 points on 26 games. FC Cincinnati sitting in eighth, just behind them on 35 points through 27 games. And we'll move on to a team that just once again continues to fly, which is the Philadelphia Union as they take uh, they take the hammer that they've taken to D.C., that they've uh, taken to the Dynamo. They took it to Colorado this past weekend at Subaru Park to the tune of a 6-0 win, their second in two weeks. Uh, Colorado got a red card, too, in this game that helped out, but at that point, it was already 3-0. And Union added some goals late, including Matt Rayall, the backup left back, getting one uh, just before uh, full time. So this is a team that's flying right now. They're not looking back. And really, ever since that D.C. United game, the 7-0 famous, the, the touchdown and the extra point in July, they've done it a few more times. I don't really know what more to say about this team that hasn't been said. But Matt, when you can defend at the level that the Union defend at, and when you can score these kind of goals against teams that aren't, it's not just DCU, it's, you know, Colorado's not a playoff team, but they're not the worst that the league has to offer. When you're able to score goals like this in bunches, you have a team that, you know, could threaten to the very highest levels of this league. Absolutely. Like, with with LAFC's loss in, in Austin, this is a team that could potentially sneak up and grab that supporter shield again. Um, I, I did not get a chance to watch this game, but I've been wondering, and Joey, maybe you can answer this. What are you seeing from that front three that is really starting to click? Is it just that they don't necessarily have to do so much of that backwards work to kind of cover? Because obviously the, that back four and then that midfield three are so staunch. Is it, is it just that they have a little bit more freedom or what do you think is, is working for them? Yeah, so full, full disclosure, I didn't watch the first 30 minutes, which included those three goals in a red card, but I, I watched everything after that, and obviously I've watched all the recent games. I think there's not one great answer here, but it's because they just all complement each other. Like, there's nothing super special about any of those players that if you put them on their own, they thrive in the way that they are. But when you let those three in particular cook, when you let Carranza kind of be the poacher that he is you let aura with the pace that he has right get in behind the back line make those darting runs and when you have someone like gazdag who we know can just sit at the top of the box and you know eat up those balls and take those shots and can distribute to the level that he's been distributing recently you have the makings of just a very interwoven front three it's one of the most connected attacks by necessity that i've seen in the league and it's really started to coalesce, like I said, since that DC game. I think Aura in particular adds that extra dimension, which is a Union team that's always loved to counter. 
he has the pace to threaten back lines, not just the holdup. He, he can get in behind, and that's been crucial as well. But I think to pinpoint one thing is really not doing it justice. It's a little bit of everything that this team's added in the last year or so. And yeah, Daniel Gazdag with a hat trick, um, player of the week this week, Carranza player of the week last week with his hat trick. It's all looking, it's all looking up. I think I'm, that's really all I got because it's hard to really describe nobody in particular standing out, but you know, as a unit, they really thrive. Um, Andres, do you have any, or Matt, do you have anything more on this? And if not, we can throw it to Andres. Yeah, I was just going to add that, that, you know, that kind of idea that the the team is the star type of thing, That that's something that we kind of have come to associate with Jim Curtin's teams. Do you, do you guys agree? For sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, just look at the midfield. Like, we love Jose Martinez as, as you know, he's one of the best six in, in this league, if not the best six. But the work that he does wouldn't be possible without Leon Flock backtracking as well and helping him out. It wouldn't be possible without Ali Bedoya running that right side and those wing backs coming up or those outside backs coming up and back and up and back. Like all of it just kind of works together in the system. Andres, do you have any thoughts on that kind of the team is the star? So I don't have a ton to add. I think you guys covered it pretty well. Uh, I think with Philadelphia, not one specific player jumps out at you and you say, wow, MVP, although Gazdag's certainly playing near that level recently, but just so many players working in a system that works, um, so many good players working in a in a system that works. And, and before we were thinking, all right, they're really, really good defensively, and they're at playing at a historic level, right? So right now they're on pace, I think, for the second best goals against in league history. And we were wondering if they could score enough to really ha- reach a, a ceiling at the top of the of the league. And right now they're at 57 goals. So it's been absolutely uh, an incredible run. The only thing that kind of makes me pause is, you know, you've had a couple not great performances recently with the loss to Dallas and the loss to Cincinnati. And all it takes is one in the playoffs. Um, as many 6 nothing wins as you get, if you have one off performance, uh, it, they could still come, in, come out and bite you. But in general, it's been absolutely incredible from, from Philadelphia and uh, just a testament to building a system and a club from the ground up over the course of several years. Uh, that's really kind of satisfying to watch come to fruition. Before we move on, Colorado, do we think that's a death knell? Are we writing them off for the playoffs? I think I am, even though they don't, they have a kind of favorable schedule. Uh, they're just not playing well, not getting results. Um, and now they're pretty far back. What do you guys think? I I'm with you. I don't think that they have any of those really, really high value players. And that's kind of a bad way of putting it, but there's no difference makers on that team currently. And the closest they have is Diego Rubio, Sardis, maybe like that's that. I just don't see who is going to put their stamp on the game. And uh, I think I was also trying to read some uh, through American soccer analysis, um, expected goals added, or um, I think it's just the goals added. And for goalkeepers, William Yarbrough has had a really rough year. Uh, and last year he was very, very good. So we're seeing a pretty massive drop off. And, and I think all those things considered that I just don't see it. 
Yeah, I have two more points on Philadelphia. I'll get out my soapbox and we can move on. Um, I think when you look at what happened and the way that it ended last year, COVID and all, but the way that Baizo had just the horror you know, mistake on that goal that sent NYCFC through, he didn't have a spot coming into this year probably as a holdover to that mistake. And Nate Harriel came in, played really well, and Baizo got his opportunity back and hasn't relinquished it. And I think that says a lot about his character as well. Um, and I really respect that from him. He's he's a been a crucial piece. And that right back role is one that the union have now too deep, but having Baizo in there adds that extra pace and that extra kind of dimension and having him rebound both, you know, mentally and on the pitch is, is a great thing to see. And also, I think you mentioned, Andres, that you have had some bad results recently. They've had, yeah, uh, the loss to Dallas wasn't a pretty loss. Uh, the loss to Cincinnati, for sure, was not a pretty loss. But And obviously not to jinx it, me being a Union fan. But they haven't lost at home all season. And assuming that Lightning doesn't strike and they stay at the very least top of the East, we're talking about three, if not four, potentially home playoff games uh, for, for Philly should they continue to win. So... If they haven't lost at home so far this year, I would be pretty confident each and every one of those games that they could make something happen at home. Um, and that's just a crazy record in and of itself that you've played 28 games. Imagine about half of those are home games. You haven't lost a single one. That's kind of crazy. So for this Union team, they continue to fly 54 points through 28 games played. And for Colorado, we think basically the death nail in their playoff hopes, 32 points on 27 games. They sit 11th in the West behind those three Cascadia teams that we touched on earlier. So I think we can move on to really the final game that we want to touch on in great depth. And and that's Charlotte and Toronto. We mentioned it last week, potentially a game that could determine, you know, one of these teams hopes, uh, you know, really, Charlotte at this point losing the game to nil and sitting twelfth, pretty far out of the the playoff race. You know, we talked about this game in terms of uh, the game to end a team's chances. Andres, I think you you were the one that mentioned that in particular last week. I might be wrong, but I think it was you that mentioned that. Do you think that this was the game that ended Charlotte's playoff chances and kept Toronto's very much alive? Well, I think Charlotte's were hanging on edge. Even before this game, um, I thought they weren't making it pretty much regardless of this result. But I think this one kind of seals it for them. Um, they just don't have enough high-end talent or really across the board to to really make that big run in that you would need to, to get into the playoffs. And, and this game in particular, I think we can see what really high-end uh, level DPs can do to you. Both of the goals here, this that back post kind of almost bicycle type kick from from Insigne to to for the first goal, and then just the casual finish, you know, almost one on four from Bernardeschi. Um, they're just those are players that find moments that, of magic that can put you over the top, which is why you know I think Toronto's hanging on edge even after this win, considering they're a game behind in terms of of games played they're on 28 most of the teams that they're battling with are on 27 or 26 um, and they're still a few points behind uh, but just that high-end talent can get you on a run that i think other teams just don't have available to them 
So yes, Charlotte, decent first year, but I'm gonna I'm gonna say that they're they're done, even though they're only a point behind Toronto, and Toronto's just on edge. Um, they really sort of almost need to win out or drop very few points going in. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna echo you on on basically all of that. Um, I I do think that it's a better season than Charlotte was probably expecting at the beginning, just for sake of you know the we're effed comments from their former coach. Now uh, this definitely takes care of Charlotte They're I think that they're pretty much done and dusted. They're in a really, really tough run of form and they're, they've got some pretty tough games going ahead. Toronto. Um, am I, am I wrong in just being a little bit concerned of how much of their production is Insigne serving Bernadeschi, Bernadeschi serving Insigne. It, it, it's it just to me it seems like a lot of eggs in one basket. It's a really really good basket, but I as a as a fan of a team who basically their entire season was kind of demolished by missing out on two players. I, it gives me cause for concern because if one of those players goes out, their ceiling drops significantly. What do you what do you guys think about that? With you all the way. Um, and I, I think, like, also for what it's worth, I don't think Toronto's making the playoffs either. Like, they have Philly on, I think, decision day. They have Orlando at Orlando. That's a tough game. They have Montreal at home. Uh, so, again, if they don't get points from those games, I think you're looking at a pretty steep climb for them to make the playoffs anyways. Like we talk about with FCC still being there, and Miami still being there. Um, Columbus, too. So... I, I find it difficult to believe that Toronto would make the playoffs anyways. But yeah, like you said, great basket to have a lot of those eggs in. But great baskets can fail sometimes. And it, without, I think both those players on the pitch, I think you need them both. You could be in a significant amount of trouble. Um, and like we said, like they have no margin for error at this point. They have had, they've, all of that error is now gobbled up. And they're sitting with one game more played than four teams in front of them that are on, you know, better footing, I think, to make the playoffs. Andres, thoughts? I think regarding the, the, all the eggs in the basket, I think looking at the table before Insigne and Bernardeschi is, is proof of, of just that basically they're relying on those two guys, uh, and somewhat Crescito and, and Larea, who who have been pretty good, um, but basically those two guys are what's lifting them. They were done and dusted before them, so yeah, makes sense that they're basically relying on those two players to take them over the top. Um, and I'm with you that you need both of them, which is why when it was just the Insigne deal, regardless of the fact that I like watching Insigne play, I didn't think it was enough of a difference on the team. Uh, to really take them to the top, to take them over the top, adding Bernardeschi, I think uh, is is a real difference maker. Having both of them on the field, you see what they what they can do. Uh, but they might have left it a little bit too late. They have six games left. Uh, you need, what would you say? They're on thirty three points. I think you probably need forty six or so to get in. Um, so that's basically you know, four wins and a draw and one loss. 
I think it's doable, but with their schedule, it's tough. Um, it's marginal, and I think you're right. They, I think they probably don't get in, but with that talent, they have the ability to pull off some, you know, a run of five or six games that I think other teams don't. So that's why I don't write them off. But I think it's probably less likely than 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 I'd say less than fifty percent uh, probability there. Yeah, any other team in the league, I think, I mean, maybe any other team in the league, given that kind of chance, you would say, no way. But because you have two guys who are, you know, key players for the Italian national team on your team, that you have that little extra, you know, seed of doubt that could say, hey, maybe they do pull off what basically anywhere else in the league we would consider this near a near impossibility. Um We'll see. I, I still think they don't make the playoffs, and obviously for Charlotte, uh, that that's basically it. A, a team, like you said, good run given the pieces, given the situations that kind of unfolded this year. Some of their own doing, some not of their own doing. Um, but either way, you know, uh, that that both those teams I think are um, you know on the outside looking in, particularly uh, Charlotte. They're I think it's they're they're done at this point, but you know. Good job uh, for what it's worth for them and all the turnover. Hopefully, for uh, from a, a Charlotte fan perspective, you know you want them to be better next year, and I think you could have the makings of a team that are now that you've got those D- DPs implemented, looking for you know that permanent coach, you know all all the the shakeup that kind of happened in June or so, kind of settling toward the end of the season, maybe looking toward uh, better things in the future, and and for Toronto, like we said, it's a hope and a prayer at this point. Uh, I, I do want to hit on just a couple quick hits, and we can call it a week. We have a few games coming up in the midweek, but I do want to start by recapping just one or two of, of the games that we had additionally this weekend. I guess we'll start in the torrential downpour that was Orlando and NYCFC. A 2-1 Orlando win in the end, a last, really a last-second goal by Tesho Akindele. Um, to to get the job done for Orlando and get them three points in the end. For NYCFC, it's another bad game that has seen a run of, uh, what, six games? Four of them losses, only one of them a win. I guess, Matt, thoughts on NYCFC and their really significant slide as we head into the playoffs in Orlando, really separating themselves, I think, may- maybe, you know, permanently from that those bottom two spots. Thoughts on this game? I, I number one just shocked that they were able to finish this match considering all of the uh the <laughs> just they were playing in a swimming pool by the end of it. Um what do I like about Orlando? <sighs> they got a really, really good performance out of Kuno Torres. Um I believe it was the Ursa goal that he set up. <sighs> and if they can get those kinds of consistent performances, then Orlando's decent. But it's it's just not been all the way there for them. I just don't think that they have a complete uh, attack going forward, truly. Uh, Kara has missed quite a bit of time and has missed quite a few chances. Um, uh, I, I just... I'm still a little bit bearish on... On Orlando, uh, Andres, do you have any ideas? What do you th- what do you think about NYC? Uh, I think we've covered NYC quite a bit. They're 
they're significantly worse than they were two or three months ago. I think we've covered a lot of the reasons why. Um, and, you know, they're not a bad team right now, but they're nowhere near the elite team that they were. Um, they're looking kind of toothless. And to be honest, obviously, they built up enough cushion that they're going to get into the playoffs. But um, the way that they're playing, they're not looking like they're going to make a, a run like last like, like last year. Um, I'm also not sold on Orlando uh, being permanently out of the discussion of the playoffs. Um, this week, it was a 96-minute 96th, 96th, uh, winner. Uh, last week, it was an 89th-minute winner, both from, from Tesho. Uh, that said, they're only three points uh, clear of the line. They've got Seattle uh, tomorrow. Then they've got a pretty tough run in after that. Uh, and I don't think they're, they're playing particularly well. I think moving or so further up the field, uh, which I wasn't expecting, has seemed to, to help them. Uh, but Philadelphia, Toronto, New York, Columbus, uh, these are all teams that they have coming. They could easily drop more points. And we've mentioned Toronto, uh, Cincinnati, uh, even New England is only a few points back. Um, I'm not sold yet that they are for sure in. Uh, they are in pencil for me um, and pretty light pencil right now. I think I might have a slightly darker shade of graphite than you, but I would, yeah, agree. Pencil them in at this stage. I mean, they are clear just a little bit than that kind of bottom pack because, like, or like the the six, seven, eight, nine area, because that's all separate. I mean, by like a point, two points, right? And, and then they've got at least a game cushion, I think, on sixth place. So, you know, good, I think, at this stage for them. Like, I, and I think that with the players that they have, they should be able to make the playoffs. Um, but we will see, and stuff can go wrong, and they do have a really tough schedule coming in. One one of the tougher ones, I think, of that that kind of bottom of the East or bottom of the East playoff race. Uh, Joey, can I, I can I say something quickly yeah, yeah, on, their, on their schedule? So, okay, they've got Seattle coming in tomorrow. Um, probably a tough game. Seattle's going to be desperate for a result. Uh, they're off on the weekend, um, but then they have the Open Cup final on midweek and go to Philadelphia that weekend. That's going to be tough to get any points out of Philadelphia. Also, their makeup game um, from the Open Cup is Miami on the Wednesday before Decision Day, and then they have Columbus on Decision Day, uh, where Columbus is going to be rested, um, and Orlando is not. They've got a tough run, and they've also got a midweek game uh, next weekend, with, with Atlanta. So that's going to be tough run in. They only, they're only three points uh, clear. They've, they've got to scrap some results in on some of those games that they might uh, not otherwise have, have gotten in order to make it. It's, it's touch and go for them. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. I think before we move on from this game, it's worth mentioning Junior Urso's goal. What a work of art, and I'm so glad that, that thing stood. Urso is a spectacular player. Um, he's so fun to watch. Gosh, he's so cool. good. Yeah, that was so, that was such an amazing goal, and like you said, a great assist by Facu Torres as well. The little just delicate chip ball over the top for Urso to bring down and hammer at home. Uh, I think we can move on to the last game. I, we can just touch on it and then move on very quickly to a, a few games in the midweek that we're looking forward to. Um, I, I think it is worth mentioning just 
because we, we touched on it last week, and they are kind of in that playoff race still. Red Bulls 3, Inter-Miami 1 at Red Bull Arena. Both teams with a red card, including uh, Pozuelo, just... I, he, that will leave a mark, uh, if uh, just to put it lightly. Um, but, yeah, a 3-1 win for the Red Bulls. Pretty, pretty well uh, well worked after that red card by Pozuelo. Um, Inter-Miami went up one, uh, three straight goals by the Red Bulls, including uh, two by youngsters Danny Edelman and Caden Clark to close it out. Uh, Matt, thoughts on this game as we, you know, Inter-Miami still very vulnerable at the uh, playoff race. And uh, for the Red Bulls, this is probably all we need to say they're in. We can put that in pen. Yeah, I, I, there's there's little question that the Red Bulls are going to fall all the way out just because they've given themselves such a good cushion. Um, the My real note on this match is about Pozuelo's uh, red card. That he needs to be a leader for this team if they're going to have any chance. And, and now they're going to have to go uh, and play Columbus without Pozuelo or without him. Um, and then it sounds like Iguain is out for this match. It sounds like Yedlin is out for this match. These are the the little things that can cause so much issue going down the stretch. And and he wasn't alone. Uh, I I wanted to kind of just note a couple of these red cards. His was really really dumb. And MLS or uh, the disciplinary committee is almost certain to get involved. The other one was um, Lucas Cavallini in Vancouver uh, stepping on somebody's head for Nashville again. Absolutely brain dead decisions when you're putting it into the perspective of we are fighting for our playoff chances every single match these are just really two massive instances that i think cause some major major headaches for their teams yeah i uh, well said well said and yeah that's a great point on Pozuelo. inter miami need all the points they can get and they're going to need him uh, down the stretch without him we'll see how long is it three games? Is it more? Who knows? Um, but that was a horror, horror challenge. Uh, Well-deserving of a red card. Uh, Andres, uh, what do you have on this game? It's really unfortunate. And for Inter-Miami, if if they don't make the playoffs, which at, at this point I think they're not going to, this will be the moment I think that they're going to look back on and, and see as a turning point because they were outplaying Red Bull for the first 28 minutes. Um, Red Bull... Couldn't really find a hold. Uh, Miami gets the free kick on a beautiful um, power shot from from Miguain, and they're you know more or less controlling that game at Rebel Arena, up one nothing. Um, and then Pozuelo gets the red card. The game turns completely around. Miami tries to bunker, doesn't do it successfully. They give up the goals, um, and now Pozuelo's out against Columbus. I think they're probably losing that match as well. Um, so it's, you know, it turns on its head in, in that one instance. Um, and that's unfortunate because they were putting together a really good run there. And I think that might be the catalyst to, to, to make it go south on them. Um, so really just disappointing that that, that went down. Um, and for Red Bull, yeah, uh, they're, they're in. They're in pen. They're probably in pen for a home playoff game. Uh, which wasn't the case a few weeks ago when they weren't playing well, uh, but they've gotten some some really good results since then. Uh, the win against Atlanta a couple weeks ago was huge. Uh, draw Cincinnati, beat Miami. Those are good enough to, to get you a home playoff game. So well done to the Rebels and unfortunate for Miami. Yep, echo everything that you guys said. 
Uh, just to update on the uh, playoff positions of these two teams, Red Bulls sitting 44 points on 28 games, five points clear of Orlando. Uh, so that means that they're five points clear of that home playoff game uh, line. And like you said, basically put them in. There probably will be a playoff game at Red Bull Arena. And uh, for Inter-Miami, still sitting sixth, but maybe the most precarious uh, team sitting at six that you could possibly be. Uh, 36 points to 27 games, tied with Columbus in seventh place, one point ahead of Cincinnati in eighth. And, you know, w- with even though they're in the playoff playoffs as of now, a mountain to climb uh, to stay there. Uh, and very quickly, before we head out, we can kind of just do what we did last week. One game that you're really looking forward to now in the midweek. Uh, we were recording this on Tuesday. Probably going to release this Wednesday. So tonight we have a whole slate of games. Basically every team playing. And Andres, I'll start with you. A game that you're really looking forward to uh, Wednesday night. So I'm going to go away from the six-pointers and go to Orlando and Seattle. Uh, Seattle, like we've talked about, on the outside looking in, desperate for points. Orlando, uh, maybe not as desperate, but a result against them, and it becomes a lot more precarious. Also, the points, you know, go to one conference or the other, so it makes a. It, it also makes a big difference in in general to the other teams. Um, also, two teams that historically, well, not historically with Orlando, but the last few seasons have been pretty good. Um, so yeah, I think this is an interesting matchup. There's a few others that I, that I'm looking at, but I'm gonna go with with that one as my uh, maybe most critical game. Yeah, that's a good one, Matt. Throw it to you second. What do you got? I am gonna go ahead and take uh, two sleeper picks out of the West. Uh, RSL is gonna host Minnesota United. Minnesota United has been getting better and better and better and better throughout the season. Um, I really think that this game is a quiet chance to be a playoff match down the road. Uh, exciting stuff. And again, if if that RSL defense can actually cause some issues for Reynoso and Fragapane and uh, Amaria, that's a really good sign for them in the playoffs. Yeah, that's another good one. I For my pick, I debated taking Austin and Portland. That'll be a good one at Q2, but I'm going to go with kind of the six-pointer kind of game uh, in the East. Two teams that we were just talking about. Columbus hosting Inter-Miami. I think without... Uh, points taken for Inter-Miami in this one, they will face a near impossibility to stay in the playoff race. Meanwhile, Columbus has a great opportunity now to take three, three points that will massively boost them in their uh, you know, race for the playoffs. You know, on, Like I said, tied on points with Inter-Miami. If they're able to take three and jump Inter-Miami on one less game played, being six at that point, I think I can definitely pencil them in with, with a decent amount of confidence that I will be able to put that in pen at some point that they will make the playoffs. And for inner Miami, if they're able to somehow get the upset in this one and take three points, those will go. I mean, that'll be wonders. Uh, that'll mean wonders for that team as they, you know, scratch and claw their way. Um, we will see, like I said, how long Pozuelo will be out. If those other players, like you said, Matt, will be out for that game. Obviously, Campana is still out. So they need a minor miracle at this point. But if they're able to get it tomorrow night, that'll be massive, massive, massive. So I think that's basically it. Um, happy with you know kind of everything that we talked about in this pod. It was a crazy week, starting with that crazy Friday night. 
uh, 11 games, I think, tomorrow night and every team in action uh, this weekend. So come next uh, next midweek, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, we'll have so much to talk about and we'll be able to preview the Open Cup final with Orlando hosting USL Championship side Sacramento Republic. So much to talk about as we head ever closer to the playoffs and obviously that crazy Open Cup final. We'll be back next week to recap it all Tuesday or Wednesday at our normal time, at our normal place. But until then, thank you all so, so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Enjoy life, enjoy the beautiful game, and we'll see you then.